The URC return at the weekend after the autumn international break and Ian Keithley will review how our province has performed and give us his view on Eddie Jones's chariot as the wheels well and truly looked off it against the Springboks. And James Weldon and Dana Finn will join us on the line to review the Irish women's basketball team's loss to the Netherlands. Before Fergal and Paul will look ahead to tonight's World Cup clash between Uruguay and Portugal. All of that and maybe a little more in the next hour. So if you want to get in touch, you can text us on 51552 or tweet at GameOn2FM. GameOn2FM. We're down to the last of the 10 o'clock games, Ruby. Over. 10 o'clock in the morning? Yeah. I was thinking, I thought we'd really last game at 7 o'clock. I was thinking, what's another game at 10, 10 o'clock I'd be missing? 10 yeah, back to normality. Tomorrow. Yeah, but they're all going to be so exciting. Well, a lot of them are going to be so exciting. I mean, there's so few teams through. Brazil mm-hmm. have just literally gone through with Casemiro's goal. Uh, France are through. Who else? Anyone other team through, is there? Paul, anyone else through? Mm, not off the top of my head. No, Brazil and France. I mean, so many of them are going to be so exciting. It's going to be... Um, it's knockout football from here on, really, isn't it? Well, from tomorrow evening on. Yeah, it is. It's uh, like I've enjoyed pretty much all of it. I've kind of enjoyed just being at home on my own, watching the matches and chilling out. But it's going to go to a whole other dimension now when it really starts counting for a lot over the next few days. It's going to be brilliant. It shall be exciting. Paul Corey, where do we start? We might as well start with what just happened. Brazil have literally literally just beaten Switzerland one goal to nil looked like they were going they were in front in about the 59th minute uh, Phineas Jr looked like he'd scored but there was a strange offside I thought it was offside initially but then I didn't really know the rules so I wasn't sure yeah it was I think it was Richarlison it was the ball was played up from uh, from the midfield and Richarlison kind of just appeared from behind the the centre half and became involved in play and, and for that reason he kind of he became active and, and was therefore offside but it was it was Probably somewhat coming to be honest with you, Ruby. They they probed and they probed and they stick to their principles. They move you about. Uh, they dominate possession for the majority of the game. And when you have so much quality in in the final third and so many options off the bench, it's probably only a matter of time before they break you down. But I just think looking at them over over the course of their first two games, considering the opposition they've played, you know, Serbia and Switzerland are two very strong European nations. I thought they've looked so solid, particularly Marquinhos, Thiago Silva, Alisson. What a foundation that is. Casemiro and Fred were protecting. The back four today, and then you just like, give the ball to the final third and let them and let them play. Even without Neymar today, I thought they looked they looked good. Probably not as fluid as they did in the first game, but you still feel like it's only a matter of time before they're going to create chances. And it's such a difficult test for the likes of Switzerland when you go for so long without the ball that you have to you know remain disciplined, remain concentrated, and any sort of half mistake or any little slip from from where you should be within your uh, shape they punish and, and they rightly did and it was Casemiro tonight it was Richarlison the other night and both strikes I mean mm. Casemiro's goal was absolutely incredible just such a lovely volley caught a flush and, and right into the corner of the net probably a bit of an unlikely score but they've goals throughout their side and the clean sheets for me is probably what stands out they, they have such a solid foundation there with Marquinhos and Thiago Silva and so much fluidity going forward Okay, well, let's remind ourselves of that Casemiro goal. Dimarish. And then it's Rodrigo. Minutal go around the outside. Anthony has left the wing. This is for Anthony now. Back with Dimarish. Now Vinicius Jr. Casemiro! 
that's how you do it. Out of nothing, it seems. Casemiro found himself in the right place at the right time and finished like a Brazilian. It's a little flick through. Casemiro, why has he gone there? He, I don't think he knows himself. But the ball's just dropped to him and he decides to hit it. And what a strike it is. Keeper has no chance. You can only watch it as it flies in the corner. What a strike. What a strike indeed. Fergal Brennan is with us as well. Fergal, do they look like they're missing Neymar, do you reckon? I mean, they, they're obviously going to miss what, what he gives them in terms of creativity, but I, I'd agree with, with what Paul said there. Sometimes it doesn't have to be the prettiest football or the most exciting or expansive uh, approach that you take to these games. But if you've got a base with Premier League, Champions League level quality, you do generally find a way Um the Neymar situation in terms of his injury does seem to be pro- progressing on track as they would anticipate and that he should be back for when they're into the last 16 which has obviously now been confirmed um, I think a little bit of fortune possibly I don't, I don't want to take too much away from Casemiro because it's a really clean strike but it, it, I think it gets quite a telling nick off the Swiss defender in front of him and Jan Sommer in the go- in goal for Switzerland then can't really readjust but a little bit of luck in a tournament is generally what you throw into the mix if, if you're pushing to win it or to, or to be a major force and when we look for who's been the most complete so far it is them and France and that's the tail of the tape they're both already qualified now and I think they may be in comparison to France I think particularly because France have the Mbappe factor I don't think Vinicius or Rodrigo or Richarlison I know Richarlison got a couple of goals uh, in, in the first game but I don't think they're putting for fear into the defenders in the way that Kylian Mbappe is I think every defender in the World Cup right now is thinking if I have to mark Kylian Mbappe I won't be sleeping the night before I think that's that's the edge that France probably have over them at, at the moment uh, Paul, it's hard to say that Brazil, or hard to believe Brazil would be involved in the dullest game so far today, but because what went before it was so exciting. South Korea and Ghana 3-2, and the South Koreans it was like watching a training game for the last 20 minutes, it was just, the ball just kept going into the Ghana box, kept going in, kept going in, kept going in but they couldn't find an equaliser. It was a fantastic game, wasn't it? And Ghana are probably the team to watch the two games that they've been involved in bucket loads of goals, and it was one of those games that just seemed to swing one way and then the other the Ghanaians, 2-0 ahead of half time and then out of nowhere just a, a quick fire double from, from South Korea and it looked as if momentum had swung and, and they seemed to be the team on top and then Kudos pops up with his second goal of the game and the Ghanaians saw it out from there but just looking at, at the Ghanaian team you know it's it's particularly strong Salisu at centre half looks strong for Southampton any time I've seen him play and Marseille Tariq Lamptey and then at the top end of the pitch you got Anaki Williams and the two Ayu brothers so they've certainly probably been Ruby the, the pick of the bunch from Africa uh, that's that's a particularly tough group that they found themselves in and they were only you know uh, a half chance away from nicking a point against Portugal as well so it was a fantastic game um, Son from, from Tottenham probably struggled a bit I'm, I'm not sure if that bang to the head has, has taken its toll on him or maybe there's just a bit much pressure and reliance on him to actually go and create but South Korea um, you know, given their prospects and given the fixture that they have at the at the end of the group, you would imagine it, it's probably the end for them. But a fantastic game. It had a bit of everything. There was even, you know, a sending off for somebody not being on the pitch at the end. And uh, yeah, the the South Koreans weren't too happy with with kind of how the game ended. But uh, for Ghana and for how they've kind of shown up and how they've performed in the first two games, it was a fantastic three points for them. Fergal, some of the stats around this World Cup are, are fascinating. Ghana, while well, they had seven shots, they only had three on target and scored three goals. 
Yeah, and and I think that was the the kind of message going into the the final 20, 30 minutes that South Korea had done so brilliantly to react. They looked dead and buried at half-time. Whatever the manager said to them at the break got them fired up. They came back into it. They were full of energy. And then that goal from Kudos just just seemed to stop that momentum. Sometimes you can kind of get up off the canvas once, but having to do it again and in a World Cup game with all the pressure around it. And obviously they only got a point in their first game at the World Cup. I think... The, the theme is continuing through the group stage. We're either getting a cracker with loads of goals or nothing. Uh, and it'll be a nil-nil and, and nothing will happen or a really, really tight, maybe a one-nil game. Um, but Ghana have now put themselves in a position to, to get through. That's how tight these things are because it's three games. You, you probably can't really afford to lose any game and get through. Uh, you'd need a real piece of luck to, uh, to, to get through if you do lose a game. Um, and now they're in... They're in the ascendancy ahead of South Korea. Obviously, Portugal, Uruguay tonight will, will have a big say in that. Um, they're still the two favourites to go through, as they were at the start of the tournament. But the pressure will be on Uruguay now. They only got a draw in the first game. Portugal have got a win in the bank. Ghana have got a win in the bank. Uruguay need to react now tonight. Paul, the last 10 o'clock game this morning, it really delivered Cameroon and Serbia. We got six goals, 3-3. Three, three. Just so much drama though and excitement. There was. And I couldn't believe what I was watching when I saw it. I thought Serbia absolutely chucked this one were, away. Were you working from home, Paul? I, I was indeed. <laughs> Work-life balance, Marie. <laughs> uh, yeah, they absolutely chucked it away. I thought when Mitrovic scored and they went 3-1 ahead, it was a superb flow and move from Serbia. And they do look dangerous, particularly in the final third. I thought it was it was game, set and match. Um, you know, some of the players that they have gone for, Mitrovic, Milinkovic was superb today, as was Tadic. And you think, you know, they haven't got Vlahovic involved. There's so much, so much talent in that final third but it was it was probably the story of Abubakar he came on there for the last 30 minutes Marie and he was like Lionel Messi uh, the goal he scored was fantastic I mean he, he's broken through he's, he's bent his run just to stay on side he's thrown a dummy and the scoop over the goalkeeper was fantastic and it was him again for Chupo Moteng's goal really good run bent it again and uh, slipped in Chupo Moteng but uh, Milenkovic the right centre-half for Serbia had an absolute stinker. He played him on both times and he was probably two or three yards deeper than the than the other two centre-halves and he's really cost Serbia. And from then on in, it was it was kind of from one end to the other. It was almost like watching a basketball match at time and it was fantastic entertainment. But it leaves both of them in, um, particularly Serbia, in a decent enough position. I think if you had given Serbia the final fixture against Switzerland having to win to go through they probably would have taken it given how difficult the group is it would be a massive uphill task for Cameroon given that they have to play Brazil in the final game but in terms of entertainment uh, it was fantastic it really was a fantastic watch Fergal since Friday we've had 15 games only three teams have dominated possession and managed to win can you name them? Oh uh, France? No Denmark had more uh, possession than France Croatia? No. <laughs> wow, I'm doing terrible here. I'm telling you, uh, you're not doing terrible. I couldn't believe it. Croatia at 48%, Canada at 52 Yes, Argentina has won. Oh, that's not bad. One, one out of three. Uh, Brazil and Senegal are the other two. I, 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 you talk about, or maybe I'm just obsessed with listening <laughs> to Stephen Kenny and the Irish team keeping the ball in the World Cup so far. Having the ball is not resulting in, <laughs> in wins. But a couple of those games, even the ones yesterday, uh, the first game yesterday afternoon was Japan and Costa Rica and the Japanese keeper. Should he have done better? Yeah. And I think the World Cup, as the old cliche kind of goes, there's, there's no hiding place. This was a really poor game. Japan, I was really impressed with them against Germany. I thought 
Costa Rica had the stuffing knocked out of them against Spain. They, they let in seven, which is almost like a, a double loss uh, in terms of what it does to your goal difference. Um, but they just couldn't really get it together. Costa Rica just sat in, frustrated them, and then just one chance, if, if you can call it that, because the keeper was... It wasn't a howler, but it was definitely just your hands need to be stronger. When that ball comes in, it, it's not a difficult save to make. You just get your hands in the right place. You get your body weight behind it, and, and he just doesn't. And now Japan have gone from one of the best performances or certainly one of the most surprising performances against Germany to get a win, to put Germany on the back foot. They've just wasted a golden opportunity because back-to-back wins puts you into the last 16. Now they go into the final game needing something against Spain and hoping that Spain maybe take the foot off the gas a little bit because they're probably okay themselves. But you have to take your chances, whether it's a a goal-scoring chance or a chance to just see out a a nil-nil. Um, you, you cannot afford to make mistakes like that because Costa Rica, if they were to sneak in and have some sort of say in the last 16, Japan will own, and I don't want to go too hard on the keeper, but Japan as a team will only have themselves to blame. Paul, just following up on Ruby's point there, and he's talking about the the teams that are dominating possession, not winning, and Belgium are one of them with 67% against Morocco. Morocco scoring two goals and in the aftermath there's been a lot of criticism now of Roberto Martinez just that he was the wrong person to manage this golden generation um, a lot of it I think quite harsh because you know at times they did come so close to um, to making more progress at, at major tournaments what are your thoughts on it? Yeah maybe this tournament wasn't the one to, to really put the microscope under Martinez there's a number of players who are probably in the tail end of their career you could ask the question in previous tournaments but if we're focusing on this one and this one alone it's been a bizarre sort of campaign for Belgium you know if you hear Kevin De Bruyne coming out and saying that the age profile of the squad is wrong it doesn't exactly mm-hmm. send positivity around the camp and that's it kind of showed in their performance I thought they looked laboured uh, the application was way off even the intensity that they play at of course we know listen Ian Hazard isn't the same player that he was when he was on Chelsea for Tonga and all the Vierald are in the latter stages of their career but I just thought there was there was so little about their performance yesterday probably shouldn't take away from Morocco because they mm-hmm. were they were very impressive to be fair to them you know they had a goal, goal ruled out early on as well that there's been kind of a significant gap I would have said between the two sides yesterday but when you when you see so much talent in that Belgium squad and it's been there and we seem to have been talking about it for the last eight years they haven't really delivered yes they, they got third place in the last World Cup but for all the talent and all the riches that they have they should have been going further in competitions but it is it is kind of the same old same old with the Belgians Marie we, we always seem to be talking them up they always seem to be in people's minds when, when they speak about favourites for the competitions but we shouldn't really be too surprised that they haven't delivered and what's most disappointing is he doesn't seem to be able to get the, the, the best out of the likes of Kevin De Bruyne who's an absolute world class player Fergal as of now Canada and Qatar are the only two teams that will be going home obviously they will be joined by plenty but did Croatia put down a marker yesterday when they beat Canada 4-1 I think they did and I think it's an interesting comparison point because they were both playing yesterday uh, Belgium and Croatia just building on what Paul said about the Belgium squad having been there and done that in terms of their clubs and and also with Belgium at, at major tournaments I don't think they've actually learnt anything from being there with Belgium in these major tournaments whereas in comparison Croatia have got a similar age profile they've got a number of players that are probably playing in their last tournament certainly their last World Cup and their reaction was just this grizzled experience of Canada who've been so fresh and bright and they've got lots of pace in the team they scored really on their first ever goal in the World Cup and Croatia just not too dissimilarly to how they did to England in in Russia four years ago 
they just took the game away from them gently by degree by degree they started to have more of the ball and they started to just pin Canada back and, and Canada couldn't really react and I think when you line up Croatia and Belgium, as I say, the age profile, some of the big names in Croatia wouldn't be too dissimilar to some of the big names at Belgium. And the body language of the Belgian players in that game was telling, again, the Kevin De Bruyne interview, you're not helping anybody by saying things like that. He is their best player. He is someone that you would anticipate will be driving Belgium on. And to be making public comments like that to the media is so, so, so strange. And then in comparison, Croatia experienced heads they don't panic they don't feel the pressure too much I don't think they're necessarily going to go semi-finals final or, or even go on and win it but you have to apply your experience in the right way and Croatia for me that was the big thing from them last night they applied their experience effectively whereas Belgium just waited for their star quality to tell and as the clock ticked down you can see the frustration and it just didn't happen because you can't wait for it to happen Bigger, a bigger star as you might be you have to go and influence the game yourself that's quite interesting Paul just making your experience counts really but when you look at Spain and Germany it was Nicholas Fulcroak who has so little experience was the, the hero for Germany yeah it's, it's incredible isn't it you probably wouldn't have been in the squad only for Timo Werner popping out with injury but I thought it was a fantastic watch I just mm -hmm. love watching Spain play I'm, I'm sure there's people who'll be kind of tearing their hair out looking at them and thinking that it's it's borderline insane with the way they play up from the back and they get the keeper <laughs> on the ball but it's just it's so brave what they do they they pin their full backs wide they get right Audrey and Laporte and they play out from the back and the energy that Pedri and Gavi play with you know, for such young lads and the quality that they have on the ball they're, they're superb to watch and I thought they were excellent last night against Germany Maria I really did you could see that they were lacking that number nine and the difference that Morata gave mm -hmm. them when he came on it was a superb finish for the first goal and only kind of a bit of a lapse in converse, uh, concentration I actually thought Jordi Alba coming off maybe disrupted the the foundations of the back four and that kind of let Germany in but but take nothing away from from the strike from Fulcrug it was it was absolutely incredible and maybe another person to throw in there Musiala was was fantastic for Germany you know such a young man um himself Gavi and Pedri were three stars who have really stood out in the, in the first two games I know Germany didn't win their first but I thought Musiala was good and I think for me like looking at at France and looking at Brazil I think he could put Spain into that conversation those three teams are the ones who have really stood out for me and I think the Spanish will will go deep into this competition Fergal speaking of France was it a lack of braveness Paul is on about the braveness of the Spanish players was it a lack of braveness on Kasper Schmeichel's part that allowed Kylian Mbappe to score a second goal uh, I think that might be well personally I think it might be little bit hard on, on Schmeichel given how experienced he is and the fact that the situations he's been in I know he's not playing in the Premier League anymore he's, he's in France with Nice but he's he's someone that is all guns blazing when he comes for a cross or he comes to clear a corner I just think it was a situation where nobody other than Kylian Mbappe reacted to it the Danish defenders around him I don't think I'd say Schmeichel maybe didn't react quick enough I don't think he he bottled the situation Um but again, we go back to Mbappe. When everything is going for you in a tournament, as it is with him, I just I love watching him in the warm-up and in the tunnel, big smile on his face. He's so confident because he knows that he's got this tournament in the palm of his hand. He's been superb. There's been so many injuries in that French squad. How would they react? Would they still be as potent? And he has taken it on his shoulders to say, 
France are the defending champions. They're amongst the favourites for a reason. And I'm going to be a big part of that. It is harsh on, on Denmark and, you know, they've got so much experience and particularly someone like Schmeichel, you'd expect him to do better in that sort of a situation. But Mbappe is a man on fire at the moment. Um, and I, as it stands, I find it difficult to see who, either a marker next to him or a team, is going to stop him. We saw Argentina beat Mexico as well, but I don't know if they answer too many questions after their performance. Where do you think they lie now, just in terms of uh, uh, being contenders? Fergal. Oh, sorry. Uh, the heart says that I want them. I've said since the start of the, the tournament, I, I want them to win it. I want Messi to have his hands on the trophy when we, uh, we, you know, we pack up at the end of the World Cup. But I think when we compare them to, as Paul said, the completeness of a Brazil, of a France, of a Spain, where they've got 11 players and subs off the bench that are making a difference, I think the gap between Messi and the rest of them is probably too big um, for them to go to the semis, go to the final. I want them to. I want to be wrong about it. Um, they did step up a bit against Mexico and, and it wasn't just a one-man show. He did obviously provide the, the big moment that got the goal and then Enzo Fernandez, who I'm a big fan of as well, off the bench, got a really nice goal. I think if he start, if Scaloni starts playing certain players, I think Enzo Fernandez needs to be starting. There's one or two others that he, he needs to start. But I think the gaps in behind Messi, both in terms of player performance and the, the physical green space that when uh, when teams maybe play around him, the midfielders need to start doing more um, if they're serious about doing something in this competition. There's still time in the final group game for them to step up, but but as it stands, it's Messi leading the way with a few other players performing well, and then six, seven, eight players just not really pulling their weight. And if that doesn't change, they could have a big problem. If it does, then maybe we could have a different conversation in a week or two. But at the moment, they look a, a bit of a distance behind those big three sides. Paul Poland sit on top of Group C. They obviously beat Saudi Arabia 2-0 at the weekend, but again, the stats of the game were incredible. Uh, Saudi Arabia, 64% of the possession, 16 shots compared to Poland's 9. Shots on target, Poland 3, Saudi Arabia 5, and the amount of passes. Saudi Arabia nearly passed double the balls that Poland did yet Robert Lewandowski got his World Cup goal and they're on top of the group and Poland probably learned a bit from having seen Argentina go up against the Saudis the week before with Saudi Arabia if you think back to the the Argentina game they didn't create a huge amount and they, they, they were very efficient I guess with the two chances that they did take and that was probably my worry for them heading into this game and heading into the last game against Mexico is how kind of clinical are they in the final third how good are they in front of goal and they didn't prove to be very good against Poland on the weekend and Poland kind of hit them with a few sucker punches and counter attacks and relied on the likes of Lewandowski and and Co to kind of to break on them and and be clinical in that final third and they absolutely were so the Saudis yeah you're right Ruby they had the majority of the possession but when you look back at some of the chances that Poland had uh, you know many of those key opportunities fell to Poland on another day Lewandowski would have had two or three and you could see when he got his goal the relief kind of etched across his face but Poland probably similar conversation to, to Argentina they they look a little short uh, they always seem to qualify for these competitions and never really seem to to get it just right but on the weekend against Saudi Arabia given the fact that three points was going to be crucial they got the job done and they got it done well but a game that really swung on, on that penalty miss it was a fantastic save from Wojciech Szczesny and the, the follow up was even better and when you have somebody like Lewandowski in the final third you can always rely on him to, to pop up with a big moment he set up the first and he scored the second so it's going to be interesting for, for Poland heading into that final fixture against Argentina Argentina obviously looking to kind of kick on and, and there's 
it, it's one of those groups that could swing a couple of times on that final fixture. And likewise with Australia as well, getting the job done, Fergal, against Tunisia. It's not a team we have too many familiar faces in, but uh, Mitchell Duke with the goal for them. Yeah, and this was an example of uh, digging in uh, it, almost from from when the goal went in. I know it was in the first half, but they set their stall out, particularly after the break and in the final half an hour, just dig in, dig in, bodies in the way, defend your box. The centre-back, I think his name's Harry Souter, I think he plays for Bristol Stoke, City. Stoke Poss- City. Stoke City, sorry, thank you. He was fantastic. He, was, he, he got himself in the way of everything. If there was a header that was needed, if there was a big, and he's a huge fella as well, if there was a, a clearance that needed to be done, he was there. This, this really wasn't a pretty game. It was, it was a really good header from Duke. Um, sometimes headers can be kind of glossed over a little bit, but this was technically, he got it perfectly right to, to get it into the far corner. Um, and Australia are in, are in with a chance now because France, there is the potential that they're going to rest players in their game and Australia will want to have their own destiny in their hands against Denmark. Denmark may be frustrated against France. Maybe they might have expected to get a draw off them. Didn't happen. Um, the difficulty for Australia is that they'll need to show a bit more quality to beat a team like Denmark. You, you can kind of, as I say, dig in against the Tunisia and, and battle and battle and battle, and you, and you probably will get the result that you want. You need to show something a bit more against Denmark because they will throw way more challenges Australia's way than than Tunisia did. I'd still be confident that Denmark will get through. Um, But fair play to Australia. Obviously, it's it's a situation where they they want to get into the knockout stages. They know that if they can kind of harness that that spirit that they got from the Tunisia game, they've got a chance. But ultimately, I think that the quality that Denmark have got, Ericsson, etc., I think that probably will just just squeeze uh, Australia out of the, the last 16 Paul we've worked our way all the way back now to Saturday night England and the USA or Friday night even I was in the UK on Friday night England and the, U- England and the USA they were rudderless against uh, against USA yeah they, they really struggled to get going and I guess there was there was so much hope wasn't there after after the first game against Iran and how good they were going forward and they, it just it just didn't click for them for, for whatever reason against the USA I thought they actually started first 5-10 minutes got into some dangerous areas and, and looked like they were going to supply Harry Kane and the other front three and it just didn't happen and I, I personally thought Ruby that they they got a bit overrun in midfield I think that trio of McKenney Adams and Musa were, were giving Bellingham and Rice an awful time in, in the middle of the park and, and the two English lads just couldn't get to grips with them and they couldn't link the play from one end to the other so a, a number of questions there I know there was Obviously, huge kind of microscope and say, okay, for not bringing Phil Foden on, I couldn't wreck my my head around that when you've got such a talent, such in form. Um, surely you bring a mom to try change the game. But I don't think they'll panic. Listen, if you are to go on and win a competition like this, it's, it's very unlikely that you're going to be able to string seven solid performances together. So I think the important thing for Southgate and for England was a, was a clean sheet, kind of put it to bed. Not forget about it, but you know, not get too caught up in it, and uh, don't be surprised to to see a couple of changes. I think we were in last week where we were talking about going to five at the back. It's coming for me. I, I think he's just waiting for Kyle Walker to get fit, and that will maybe give them a bit more of a strong foundation because he doesn't seem too keen on opening up and playing that expansive football that we see with some of the other top nations. Fergo, what's the feeling like on the ground in England? Uh, similarly to what Paul was saying a case of don't panic um, a draw against the USA is not the worst result in the world England still do have their, their own destiny in their hands going into playing Wales tomorrow um, but I think 
this needs to be a, a wake up call for Southgate and for some of the players and I would agree the situation with the midfield was a, was a real issue the US had a three in midfield that are incredibly well coached to press at the right times and when to turn over possession whereas England was a bit more off the cuff. They had two in there with Bellingham and Rice and just expecting Mason Mount to dip in and help out. That's not good enough at, at this level where you're just relying on a player to help out and track runners. No, there needs to be a system in place before a ball is kicked where everybody knows what they're doing. Um, I think there will be a few changes for Wales tomorrow. There's a lot of talk that Jude Bellingham's going to get a rest and, and Jordan Henderson will come in. Carl Walker is, is edging back towards fitness um, and I, I would agree with Paul that that is Southgate's idea bring him in back three move Shaw and Kieran Trippier into wing, bo- uh, wing back spaces um, to make England a bit more solid in the knockout stages because that was the way that he approached the Euros be as solid as possible and get a goal from Sterling or, or Harry Kane maybe even a set piece maybe even a penalty the, England are perfectly happy to have that approach 1-0 uh, wins grinding, grinding, grinding um, but again I think the star quality of a France Spain uh, Brazil that will be a real test for England we haven't seen a, a dominant team up against England just yet and we, we, we won't get to see that until the knockout stages um, and that's going to be the big asking um, asking points say talking point that will be the big question for them uh, in the last 16 and, and potentially further on just before we move on from football for now, Paul, we've spoken on this programme quite a bit about Michael Beale and um, the fact that he was turning down the Wolves' jobs to to because of it, for integrity reasons, but now it seems like he could be heading to Rangers. I couldn't believe it when I when I saw a tweet out by RCE there. Um, it, bearing in mind that he's he's turned down a Premier League job, mm-hmm. you would think that he's he's going to stick with QPR to to see them through the Championship campaign. They're obviously going very strong, and with a huge chance of of getting them promoted into the Premier League, his profile would have been built so much stronger. You think with within English football, so it surprises me. He's obviously got his connection of during his time with Stephen Gerrard when he was up there, and uh, the vacancy obviously with, with Van Bronckhorst going out the door. It does surprise me. I thought he would have stuck around in English football. You would have thought that if, if another job kind of popped up in that bottom half of the Premier League, he would have been absolutely tipped for, for one of those jobs. So it does surprise me, but one, maybe he feels that he knows the people up in Rangers, he knows the, the lay of the land, and one that really suits him and where he is in his career. Mm-hmm. OK, uh, stay with us. We are going to take a very quick break. We'll be returning to the football later in the programme to look ahead to Portugal and Uruguay. Um, but it's basketball next. Game on on 2FM. Welcome back. Over the weekend, Ireland fell to an agonising 59-56 defeat to Netherlands after leading for the majority of their FIBA Women's Euro Basket 2023 qualifiers game at a very uh, packed Tala Stadium. I'm delighted, Tala Stadium, uh, National Basketball Stadium in Tala. I am delighted to be joined uh, by Dana Finn, who was on with us last uh, Thursday to look ahead to the game. Dana, devastation, and I know you won't take much solace in, in moral victories, but you did do so well. Yeah, yeah. Um, as you said, extremely tough loss to take. Um, I suppose re- reflecting on, on a loss that is one that you, I think we truly deserved um, going on a performance in the first half especially. But um, yeah, I suppose you, you tend to focus on the negatives after a game. But um, there's definitely a lot of positives we can take from the performance. I suppose we were just gutted in the end because we, we led the whole game. Um but yeah, there's only there's a lot of positives like I said we can take and motivation and I suppose we've shown now that we can um, compete at this level. 
So, um, yeah, extremely tough at the moment. Um, but as I said, there, there's a lot of positives to take from, from the loss. Then I know exactly what you mean about focusing on the negatives when you lose, but how do you plan on turning the negatives into positives? Um, I suppose reflecting on the game at the moment, as I said, it's only a day after, so um, there's a lot of, I suppose, sad and, and mixed emotions about it all, but um, we're a strong group and we've been together the last um, year, two years, um, preparing for these qualifiers, so I think we, we can bounce back and we have shown that we bounced back after our game previously against the Netherlands where, where we, we got um, challenged strong and, and we lost that game by by a big margin but uh, we've shown that we've shown last night that we can turn things around and I suppose we took the positives from that game and, and built on the negatives so I think it's just um, to do that with this and, and be ready for the Czech Republic in, in February. James Weldon, the Ireland head coach, is with us as well on the line. James, you've been around Irish basketball now for a very long time. How do you feel the the women's team are, are doing right now? And like, how much progress has been made in the last few years? Uh, I suppose, Marie, um, I think it's fantastic progress has been made in, in, in the past year. Like, I suppose, Dana... And I mentioned there that you know we would have lost away to Netherlands uh, this time last year, and um, we were down thirty-two ten at the end of the first quarter. So we we almost uh, we more or less uh, flipped that in the first half yesterday, um, you know. And then it is terribly um, disappointing to, to to lose the game, but um, I, I couldn't be prouder of the performance the girls put in yesterday, um, particularly in that first half. But um, we have to be kind of aware too of where we are at our stage of development, and you know it's it's only it's only uh, you know about a year and a half ago that we were playing small nations level basketball and hadn't played in, at this level in ten years. So um, to to kind of take on a, a fully professional team and to hold them to fourteen points and a half is is something I've never kind of seen from an Irish team uh, in all the years I've been involved uh, with, with basketball in this country. Tina, when you did hold them to 14 points and led 43-19, that obviously takes a hell of a lot of effort playing against professionals. Do you think somewhere in there, is it mentally or is it physically that you can see games out from those positions? Um, I suppose... In terms, both mentally and physically, I think fatigue obviously set in in the second half, and mentally as well, mental fatigue. But I think we started the third quarter very well, and we did run in two minutes. But um, I suppose they matched that, and they they had uh, their run in third, so they hit a few threes and had a few turnover. Uh, we had a few turnovers down the stretch, so I think that mentally hurt us. Um, we obviously didn't uh, execute as well in the third and fourth and it let them get back into the game. Um, so, yeah, it, it was, it was mentally and physically tough, but I think Bailey hit, missed a lot of shots in the first half um, and so as did we, but uh, we still just took the momentum fr- from the first half and I suppose the, the margins just got smaller and smaller and we had led the game for the, the majority of the game until the last, it was 30 seconds. So, uh it, it's tough to reflect on something like that. I think mental and physical fatigue is, is obviously set in in the, in the second half, but I don't think it was at all a determining factor as to why we lost the game. 
James, away from the game and we're talking about positives and one of the, the clear positives was the the crowd and the atmosphere and just the, the interest in the game. And another was, was having the calibre of players like Dana who went in last week and Bridget Hurley as well, um, who qualifies to play for Ireland because of her grandparents. Is there other Bridgets out there? Or is that a road that Ireland would look at exploring further? Yeah, well, I suppose for me, this kind of FIBA regulations uh, allow you to have only one, uh, um, you know, um, player that is um, naturalised, um, you know, after the age of 16. So um, you you would be limited to, you know, sticking with Bridget, or I don't, I don't mean that in a bad way because she's an outstanding <laughs> player. But, uh, you know, that's... Um, so it's not like know, the soccer is what you're saying? Yeah, basically that you couldn't kind of uh, not you know, and I mean, look, there, we saw many talented players in the country and in the squad at the moment as well, um, you know. But I suppose, look, um, yeah, look, you know, that you're always kind of watching out to if players do become available, and you know, you get regular contact too from players too as well, and um, you know, that would kind of fall into that category. But uh, you are very limited with your options on it. But uh, look, I think. Bridget has been a fantastic fit for the team, uh, both on and off the court. And I think, um, you know, like Dana mentioned there, that the, the girls are a tight group and, um, you know, they, they, they only got together last Wednesday for, for training camp and, uh, you know, they wouldn't have seen each other as a group since the summer, you know. So, um, you know, so look, uh, yeah, and look, it was really positive too to see a packed arena. Um, you know, I suppose we've all been there for for cup finals and plays and coached and whatever and cup finals and half the crowd is against you and half the crowd is for you and just to have the whole crowd bind you I think it is really kind of lifted the girls yesterday and uh, it's, it's just fantastic to see because you know the, the girls put in such a huge effort to to, to work in on their game and um, you know it's fantastic there were so many young girls there as well the last uh, yesterday supporting and uh, getting behind the team you know so hopefully um, inspiring uh, the next generation there and, and James just as the sport as a whole because you know there has been leg- legacy issues um, that have affected the sport and then COVID it was tricky to get back playing indoors but it, it feels and I'm only going on my experience of being at kids basketball games and going to the odd Super League game that it's really trending in the right direction and more and more people are, are getting involved Absolutely. Yeah. Look, um, I think uh, over the last five years, the participation numbers are up over 50%. And, you know, there's uh, over 950 secondary schools, um, you know, uh, registered for, for, for basketball. And, you know, um, you know, like um, it's it, there's huge growth there. There's great crowds turning up to Super League games, as you mentioned, and, and uh, Division One games, but also... Uh, you know, there's there's an awful lot of um, young kids turning up, and and just the game seems to be having a great kind of growth spurt at the moment. And basketball Ireland TV as well, you know, has kind of put everything into the one category where you can access all the games, and it's kind of spreading it out to a wider audience. And you know, look, I mean, I was out in the street today. And, you're almost trying to avoid people because they're they're not too sure what to say to you. But you know, a lot of people were tuned into TG Car watching the game last night as well, which is which is great. You know. Yeah, it all helps for sure. Um, James and Dana, thank you so much for joining us, especially just uh, a day after a, a tough loss. Commiserations, and no doubt we'll be talking to you again soon. Game on on Two FM. 
Now, welcome back. It's time to turn our attention to rugby. I'm delighted to say that Ian Keatley is with me on the line. Ian, we're going to do the URC first because I feel like every time we were talking to you, there was disappointment because Munster hadn't won a game, but good win for them now over the against Connacht at the weekend. Yeah, it was a, a great win and they kind of backed up their performance against uh, beating the South Africa Select 15 the, the two weeks previous. So, listen, it's not... The, the, the woes still aren't over but at least they're on the right trend and that's two victories in a row and they're they're building nicely and they've got a, another tough test against Edinburgh this weekend but it's one that they can definitely uh, win and if they win that match all of a sudden they were <laughs> looking near the bottom <laughs> of the table they're, they're all the way up to 6th or 7th in the table which is a massive turnaround Obviously every rugby team has to defend to win but Munster did look happier attacking through Joey Carberry out into their backs. They did look like there was some bit of imagination there. Yeah, they've, they've, I think they started bringing in a bit more um, of a kicking game. So it's kind of traditional for Munster teams to kick the ball a lot more. And then at the start of the season, I just felt they were trying to. They're talking about their attack game and they're attacking, attacking, and, and they're kind of they weren't taking the right options. But now they're. They've developed their kicking game a bit more, so now they're they're attacking. Then they're kicking on the edge. They're putting teams under pressure, and they're getting good results from that. And it's actually because they're kicking a lot more now. It's actually opening up for their attacking. Um, they're attacking, keeping the ball in hand a bit more. So it's it's rugby. It's, it's all about a bit of balance, and they've brought a bit more balance to their to their to their game. And uh, as I said, um, with the kicking tactics now that they've brought in, it, it's it's getting more space for them. Do you think they've kind of changed their approach just given maybe how maybe they were a little bit ambitious with their game plan at the at the start of the season and have tempered things a little bit? Uh, yeah, that's a, as I said, I'm sure they did a little bit of an analysis after when the November um, test came on um, and they had a time to sit back, relax, look back at a few games. What are they doing bad? What are they doing good? And they probably said, listen, we need to kick the ball a bit more. Like, I know kicking can be seen as a negative thing, but if you kick the ball and put the ball in the right areas, first of all, you can get mistakes like Connick's try <laughs> on the weekend. And then also, if you kick, you get the ball kicked back to you, so you get better counter-attack opportunities. So that's what Munster has definitely brought into the game over the last, uh, from their last two games, and it, it's, it's serving them a bit better. Obviously, Connacht's were laid, they dominated the scrum, but they didn't convert that into points, really, did they? Yeah, the Connacht scrum is is very good, and Finlay Beelan is, is in there, and we all know that, that he's probably second in line now uh, for Ireland, second third choice. So he, his game has greatly improved. But um, listen, I think discipline killed kill Connacht as well. And as I said about, about Munster's kicking game, they just they just they just outsmarted Connacht a bit. Um, Connacht got off to a great start; they took a three 0 lead, um, but it was just a four dominant performance from Munster, and they just kicked to the corner mauled um, and they were just a little bit smarter than Connacht on the day and what about Leinster so they had a very comprehensive win over a poor Glasgow Warrior side but Leo Cullen was really frustrated afterwards do you think he should be or was he been a little bit too harsh on them um, I think from the neutral you'll probably think he's been a, a, a bit harsh on them considering they, they put 40 points on a, a, an okay Glasgow team um, who like they kind of struggle against in the past so I, I think maybe it's just um, Leo probably just just cracking the whip a little bit, making sure they don't get uh, complacent. I think they're eight from eight in the league, and they've got a pretty big match now uh, coming up on the weekend against Ulster. It's obviously first three seconds, so I'd say it's just um, Leo just making sure that they're not getting ahead of, getting ahead of themselves because 
a few of their tries. They're they're very well worked tries, um, and I'd say he's just yeah just cracking the whip a little bit. And that Ulster game at the weekend will be a cracker. Ulster, of course, beats Edra 36-15. Two tries inside 10 minutes, a bonus point by half-time. And their forwards, forwards sorry, were rampant. Yeah, they were. They're they're very good on on the weekend. Um, and, uh, yeah, the forwards were very good, but they had great combinations at the backs. Um, they're, they're, listen, I think Ulster and, uh, and Leinster are the top two teams. And, obviously, they're at the top of the table, but they're they're playing really good rugby there. They're nice to watch. They have that nice blend of forward dominance, good mall attack, but they have that ability to spread it wide and, and change the point of attack as well. And like they're, it, it's going to be a cracker of a match, and I'm looking forward to it. Uh, I just say probably lengths in my paper just because they are they've got that home advantage, and as I said, there Leo is making sure that they they won't be caught off guard. It's the international games that are taking the headlines this weekend or maybe the international results and uh, Wales is one that um, a lot of people have been focused on. Focused on. Uh, they had a disappointing uh, loss to Australia but in the aftermath of it the rumour mills have been in full swing that Warren Gatland might return to take over from Wayne Pivak. Can you see this happening? Uh, well, obviously, after after disappointing uh, results, obviously they lost to Georgia, and then they were they were winning comfortable against Australia and, and lost. Obviously, the rumour mills are going to come out, and the coach is going to get all the the fingers pointed pointed at uh, at him. So, um, well, I'm, I'm sure Warren Gatland at the time he wanted to go back to New Zealand. Um, it, it'd probably it'd probably be a big turnaround for him to come back, but I'm sure uh, maybe Ron Lagarro will probably put his name in the hat for that job as well. <laughs> He's naming the hat for every job if you can keep yeah, on the yeah. sideline. Uh, that'll be a help. Right out of the stand. But what about Eddie Jones, though? England, they've lost six from 12 in the last 12 months. And the spring, Springbok just ran over them. They were way better than them. Yeah, I'm afraid the Springboks were they're, they're dominant. They, the Springboks don't change their game plan um, week in to week out. And if you're not mentally ready and physically ready for that match, and it just looked like, um, I think that was England's fourth, fourth test, uh, it just looked like they looked tired, beat up, and then when you, when you look tired and beat up, and then you're coming against that South African side who are literally going to exhaust you and try and beat you up. They just looked, they just looked tired. Um, listen, I still think Eddie Jones is a. I, I think everyone forgets like he, he got them to the World Cup final the last time, and he has had good results, but. I think he is trying to mix up his team a bit. He 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 changes his team weekly just to try and get a bit more out of him. Maybe he's trying to build squad depth. So I don't think they'll be changing Eddie Jones before the next World Cup. I think that that would probably be. I wouldn't say that'd be beneficial for the squad. I think I think Eddie now with the Six Nations, he'll settle on a on a team. He'll let them develop now over the next six, six matches for the Six Nations, and then he'll keep that team for the World Cup. Go on, Ruby. No, go on, Marie. I was going to say bye Ian we'll talk to you soon we're going to turn our attention back to the uh, World Cup again the other World Cup that we've been talking about and that is the Football uh, World Cup Paul Curry is with us in studio and Fergal Brennan is on the line Portugal and Uruguay is about to get underway Paul do you have any team news? Yeah, three changes for Portugal. Uh, Pepe comes in at centre-half, Mendes from Paris Saint-Germain at left-back and William Carvalho. So probably not too much of a surprise given, I guess, the the chances and the goals they gave away uh, against Ghana, maybe looking to just put a bit of experience with Pepe in there and and then hopefully rely on, on the likes of Fernandes, Ronaldo and Joe Felix at the top end of the pitch going crazy. So it'd be a great game, Marie. Your wines are always guaranteed to be dogged and and uh, difficult to beat, <laughs> I guess, best kind of uh, characterised by Diego Godin, 
who's at centre half um, and they've gone with Nunes Cavani and Gumalero up front so Suarez drops out of the team so it should be a really good uh, oh, no spectacle no Suarez no Suarez no uh, probably not got in the legs has he to play two mm. games in, in such a short space of time so um, I would expect the Portuguese to be nice nice and expansive and the Uruguayans really difficult to beat try hit them on the counter attack Speaking of difficult to beat, Fergal, Uruguay have conceded, conceded only twice in 10 games under Diego Alonso. Ronaldo has his work cut out tonight. He does. Um, and even though the, the South Korea game was not very exciting, just one shot on target, they'll go with a the 3-5-2. They've got so much experience right the way through the squad. And I think even the swap for um, Suarez and um, Cavani in attack, 135-year-old for another 134 caps for 135 caps. The, this is serious uh, experience that they've got running right the way through the team. And I think they will make it difficult for Ronaldo because they'll be organised, they'll have extra backup when they go from a 3-5-2 into a 5-3-2 to make sure that those little gaps in either side of, of the two centre-backs are, are not exposed. What I would say is both teams are maybe relying on an ageing forward to get them a goal in Cavani at one end and Ronaldo in the other. So it'll be interesting to see how the other players around them step up. Nunez, obviously, for Uruguay, he's going to take over from... Um, Suarez and Cavani when they retire which is probably going to come uh, at the end of the year and then for Portugal they've got so many exciting players Rafael Liao Jao Felix alongside Ronaldo so we're going to get a sense of the last dance for some of the experienced players but we're also going to see the next wave for uh, for Portugal and Uruguay tonight Okay, well, uh, enjoy that, everyone, tonight. Uh, Paul Fergal, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it'll be all football again tomorrow. No early games, though, uh, for anyone who's got into the habit of sitting around, having their breakfast and watching football. Ruby, I won't be here tomorrow, but you will. I will be here with Dave Kelly, yeah, and we will go through all of those games. We'll have a few teams that are into the last 16, hopefully, by this time tomorrow. Yeah, all drama. Okay, guys, uh, better to Silva is up next. RTE 2FM.